Welcome to episode number 22 of the Friday Fraudster. And today we're talking about the medical millionaire in the making and the produce profits, not produce profits, produce profits. You'll get that when we get to the story. Joe and Kelly, how are you guys today? Awesome. Excellent. Excellent day. Very good. I see people are joining us. And Thomas is here and he says, when does Florida not have a moment? <laughs> now, Heather. Hal needs to be here. There he is. Hal is here. And Hal is dropping multiple emojis in the chat. And I think they are all COVID related because I see someone with a mask on, someone with a temperature, someone with a question mark, someone else with a temperature, and then someone else with an exclamation mark. So you guys are really doing well because I didn't even have to say it as you enter the room. Drop the emoji into the chat that signifies the mood that you are in right now. If you like Mr. Little Emoji on the screen right now, you can go to afroji.net and get your own gear with him on there and some other people. And Hal is starting us off on the right foot already. Hal says, I am Florida man. All right, so you guys have seen the title of today's stories, but before we get to them, we're going to remind you, Friday Froster, if you like us, tell all your friends to watch the replay here on LinkedIn or on YouTube, or you can listen to us on your favorite podcasting platforms, unless your favorite podcasting platform is Apple. That is correct. I have not set it up on Apple yet because it is a headache to do for me. Also, you can go to FridayFroster.com to see past episodes and you can get CPEs. Go to $7CPE.com and you can get CPEs for guess what? $7. I mean, that, <laughs> that just kind of makes sense, right? <laughs> okay. Now, before we jump into the stories, we want to talk about something that happened last week. We are so proud to have you guys as our listeners because last week, Joe said to us that if we donated money to a certain cause, that that money would be not doubled, but tripled, right? Yep. You got and it. That, tripled. And, and after the show, what happened, Joe? After the show, I almost got to $2,000 raised. So my fundraising... Um, I blew my goal of a thousand out of the water and you guys helped me get to 1956. Uh, so I just wanted to personally say thank you to everybody. I, um, I was just astonished. So it was awesome. Thank you. Yay. Thank you guys. That just shows the power of community, right? We're all in this audit community together, audit, fraud, risk, compliance, all of that good stuff. We're all in this community together. And when we pull together, we can do great things. Now, Trent. <laughs> that's not nearly as catchy, Trent. That's too long. Way too long. That's right. Trent says that he just bought $6.99cpe.com. <laughs> oh, Heather says that is awesome. Yes, that is awesome. Trent says... That's incredible. I love this place. <laughs> when we work together, we can achieve great things. 
Hmm? All right, guys. You saw the title. <laughs> you saw the title. The Medical Millionaire in the Making. And I'm sure you're probably wondering, what happened? Is there some guy who or girl who worked really hard, put themselves through medical school, and after graduating medical school, maybe they invented something great. And because of that invention, they started a company. And because of that company, they're going to help the world and they became a millionaire. I'm sure that's what you're all thinking, right? <laughs> what is this, Elizabeth Holmes? Oh, wait, no, that's it. No, not that one. <laughs> well, maybe not. What about the poop company that we talked about in episode one? Was it them? The crappy company. If you've not seen that episode, go check it out. <laughs> well, unfortunately, friends, that's not what happened. Now, I'm sure you're all wondering, well, what in the world did happen? A former accounting manager at the University of South Florida's University Medical Service Association has admitted to defrauding the nonprofit of at least $12.8 million. And he filtered a vast majority of the money through an adult website. Now, his fraud came to light November of 2020 when the foundation notified the University of South Florida's internal audit department that, well, he may have processed some fraudulent credit card charges. Here's where it gets really interesting, though, you guys. According to a statement from the University of South Florida, the money was stolen. The, no, the money that was stolen was not from was from revenues generated by patient care. No state philanthropic grant or research monies were stolen. So they made it. They made a distinction. They wanted us to know that no taxpayer funds or donated funds were actually stolen. I don't know if that really matters, honestly. So let's talk about this. There are a couple of things to talk about. So he worked for what's called a direct support organization. In, in universities, when they want to uh, hmm, go into money-making ventures, they start what's called direct support organizations because, you know, universities are nonprofits and technically shouldn't make money. And what happens in the when you're in the medical field at universities is a lot of universities have what, what are called faculty practice plans. Now, all those are organized, structured activities within the academic medical center that provide services such as billing, collections, revenue distributions, financial services, and things like that for full-time faculty. So what we're talking about is a subunit, essentially, a subunit of the university where they ran through the medical expenses for physicians and other administrative services. And apparently this man was able to steal over $10 million from that. So how in the world did it happen? Hmm. <laughs> you guys ready for this one? Because we, we've had some interesting things, but this one is crazy. According to the plea deal, starting around 2018, he recruited at least one woman, which was his future <clears throat> daughter-in-law, to enlist or sign up for an adult website. He then began making donations to her using credit cards for the company. 
she kept up to 40% of the contributions and mailed him the remainder, less the amount needed to pay taxes. So they, they at least paid taxes, right? They, they didn't, they weren't Al Capone. <laughs> now there is some question as far as how much actually went through the adult website, because according to his plea deal, he laundered more than 1.3 million through the scheme, but there are other documents that the university has that says about 11.5 million. All right, I'm, I'm gonna stop right here, Kelly Joe. There's more, but Kelly Joe, what, what do you guys think? So does anyone remember um, Ryan Hubbs? He was a regent and he did a whole story about porn and fraud. And basically when he was doing investigations, all of a sudden it was kind of like, oh, look what we found here. So I put one link story in and I'll put the other link story, but um, <laughs> I'm just going to say that like, uh, you know, they say that um, men steal for the three W's, wine, women, and wagers. Yeah. Wait, so, what was it called? Wine, women, and wagers, like bets. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But this is I a lot of money. A lot, a lot of money. And hashtag men steal more. <laughs> yeah, no, this was no little one. Uh, I think I, I like that article that Kelly posted and sent because I didn't realize, like, this is one of those flags, right? We talk about gambling as a flag, right? Um, and he talks about, I think it was in Ryan's article, about what else behavior-wise to look for. What does he call it? Deviant behavior? And I love that term. Like, I'm like, I might have to start using the word deviant in my ethics presentations. That's awesome. But like, even like the slightest bit of harassment or bullying or any of those behaviors, I thought was really interesting that he linked that to pornography use or adult, whatever we're going to call it, website use. So yeah, really interesting. But did yeah. we all miss the part where he enlisted the help of his daughter to be daughter-in-law i know i i that obviously was a weird it, it kind of like you just get that creepy creepy feeling this isn't this is like an icky one Ooh, right very icky. Is, is that a technical term this is like icky very icky and, and michelle was spot on with it too 1.3 versus 11 well you know Hold on to your hats because it gets even more confusing, according to some of the articles, because there is some question about how much actually went through the adult website. Um, and and according to the investigators, they're saying that uh, he they processed twelve point eight six million in invalid charges, including eleven point five million uh, through and around twenty two thousand transactions with the adult website from 2014 to 2020. So now they're saying maybe 11.5 million of 12.86 million, totaling 22,000 transactions went through the adult website from 2014 to 2020. So in six years, 22,000 transactions, possibly $11 million and, and no one, like 22,000 transactions. And no one noticed. So we'll get to that, I'm sure, because... That's a and huge part of this. He spent 40 some thousand dollars going to Disney. What do I say? Everyone who steals goes to Disney. <laughs> it just, yeah. Oh my God. Everyone who steals goes to Disney. 
maybe we need uh, some data analytics trends on here on Disney visitors. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we need to uh, do some sort of correlation analysis or something. <laughs> so I think Hal has got your new catchphrase for you, Joe. It's deviant and icky. icky. Forget the big me. We're going with deviant and icky. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so yeah, as if it weren't confusing enough in some of the articles and all of the, uh, um, uh, federal court paperwork. One report claimed that he was responsible for an additional one and a half million of what they're calling suspicious charges. And they allege that he uh, that the roughly three million dollars that did not go through the adult website went to a limited liability corporation owned by his wife. And then he spent some on non-business travel for his friends and family members entertainment, rent for his family members, and household improvements to his residence. Also, he spent some, allegedly, on wedding expenses. So this was a new wife. Um, <laughs> gifts to family members, his automobile, and other miscellaneous personal expenses. So one thing I noticed, Kelly says a lot of times that when you see these frauds, it's because of uh, divorce, uh, alimony and or child support. I guess in this instance, it may have been due to marriage. Well, so this is a totally different starter or uh, um, story that was in the New York Times today about Brazilian butt lifts that my friend Abby Ellen, who wrote the book Duped, which is excellent. Um, she did a story about Brazilian butt lifts. And there is, um, there is a, uh, a woman who stole $93,000 and she got a butt lift for her wedding. So, yeah. Oh my like, God. The stories just keep getting better. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you're going to steal to feed your family, that's one thing. But if you're going to steal for a Brazilian butt lift, which apparently have like, it is the most dangerous type of plastic surgery they have said. So, um, yeah, the, the Brazilian <laughs> butt lift, the BBL. Um, yeah, that's what they call it. They yes. do. Kelly, can you just say it one more time? Because I just want to giggle every time. <laughs> we can't make this up. Like, honestly, I can tie any deviant behavior, like probably to some type of theft. It might not be embezzlement, but I don't. Can you imagine having a spouse who like, if you're looking at your bank statements, like, of course you can't do. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, Pozo brings up a good point or ask a good question. Did he meet the new wife on the adult website? Uh, yeah. No, he was too busy at looking at pictures of his daughter. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. And the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. His stepson's fiance, like, like father, like son, or like father, like stepson, maybe. And so I did look him up on LinkedIn and he has one connection. So I was like pulling in Kelly. Did you, did you find him? Like the accounting manager of. Oh, U I didn't. US, I didn't what, is it, UC, what is it? University of. South Florida. South Florida. South Florida. Um, so he's on LinkedIn one, but then I thought maybe I could find his son. So I like started snooping around just, but there's a lot of, with that last name, but 
Um, I was like, ooh, let's see if we, we could figure out what his son does in this whole scenario. Because none of the articles mention him. So Garnell said, like, really? BBL? <laughs> yes, Garnell. BBL. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. But it's his stepson, so it's probably not his same last name. True. Okay. All right. Yeah, oh, yeah that, that is true. Yeah, now, Pozo true. says that a BBL can help you feed your family. This is the sad truth. How can a BBL help you? Well, never mind. <laughs> never mind. We're not going to go into social commentary. <laughs> we avoid <laughs> politics and social commentary. Depends on what, what profession she's in. What? <laughs> Wait, Pozo, did you read that story by Abby Ellen in the New York Times? I was going to put a link to Abby's book in the... Yeah, that book, by the way, you've read the book, haven't you, Joe? Um, yes. Isn't it good? Yes. I'm yeah. In the chat. She's a great um, writer and crazy topic she writes on. Giving up Diet Coke, Brazilian butt lifts now. Like, <laughs> wow. Pogo said that she did read that article. But you know what? It gets better because apparently he also allegedly purchased airline tickets and hotel and hospitality packages for individuals, including a female based in Canada, who I think she he flew her down to Disney. Um, and, and he used, well, okay, we'll get to that. He also purchased gift cards in order to commit some of his fraud schemes. So he was redeeming some of the gift cards on the adult website. Okay, so I have a quick question. You know, I worked at Nike and we had corporate credit cards and there were certain what MRCs that like you couldn't buy stuff from. Right. Um, I think that maybe University of South Florida might want to go and look and put mygirlfund.com is to one to block after this. Yep. Like an after action report. I would love to see what the after action report is on this because it went on for how many years? Mygirlfund.com. Like, block. Block. Yeah. It's not, not hard. Yeah, it's not even. It's like obvious. It's yeah. so obvious. Right. I mean, data analytics would have picked this one up quite quickly. Um, mm -hmm. e yeah. Even if they didn't block the MCC codes, data analytics should have picked this up. But that MCC code should have been blocked depending on how they finagled it, because the company may have been able to work under a different MCC code. I've seen frauds where, like, for example, people would steal gift cards from gas stations and, you know, you would have the MCC code for gift cards blocked, but it would show up as a gas station. And so it looked like a fuel purchase. So it could be that this company may have done some things so that they show up differently from the uh, on a credit card statement. But but according to uh let's see well no so the fraud went on for quite some time but he began serving as an accounting manager at this organization in october of 2006 but by late 2015 he had control over the credit card authorization and he managed the record keeping for the for the function for the credit card function um so it's always like we say segregation of duties <laughs> Yeah, nobody was even looking, so except him, right? It seems like, at least that's what they make it seem like. So, and then it says, you know, they have to file a Form 990. So, um, uh, they took in nearly $306 million in the fiscal year for 2020. 
And they're going to say it wasn't material. Because if you take 12 million over six years, 2 million a year, 2 million for 300 million on average, you know, not material. But I, I want to, I say we pin it in our calendar for like next year to look at USS was form 990 and see what they put. Yep. Because they should be putting something in for this or even just their legal expenses. I mean, I've seen where you look at form 990s and you see the legal expenses do, 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 um, because they had to hire a lawyer. So it'd be interesting to see their form 990s. Oh, that's a very good point because yeah, they had to hire lawyers, but then also they had to do the investigation and the internal audit department at the University of South Florida, according to some of the things I've read, did the investigation. So if I were them, I would charge back that direct support organization for my expenses associated with that. But you know what, guys? So when they found out he was doing it, they terminated him in December of 2020, along with his immediate supervisor. And according to some articles, the internal auditor was fired as well and Maliska asked the question didn't the article mention that the internal auditor was fired yeah so, so this also goes to like you know when i go out on the road or do a zoom some people are kind of like well you know it's not going to happen on my watch or if it does happen i had nothing to do with it the buck stops eventually somewhere so if you're that manager or you're that even ce i've seen a lot of a lot. I've, I know of like at least five CEOs. They've had an embezzlement. They had nothing to do with it. It was proven. They had nothing to do with it yet. Look at like it happened on your watch. Mm -hmm. So the buck has to stop somewhere. So these people are kind of like, well, it was just an underling. Well, you know, it has to stop somewhere. And I kind of think it shows a good message personally, if yeah. you like clean house. And Hal says this was a separate company. I don't think it was on USF's books. Not sure. Mm. Um, typically, the way it works, especially in Florida, I was a part of the Florida system as a chief auditor in a university there is you typically and, and this may have been done separately because you can do in multiple ways. But usually your direct support organizations roll up to the university's financial statements as a part of a component unit, uh, usually. But they may have done it totally separate, but a lot of times they still roll up to uh, the financial statements as a part of a component unit. So you, we could actually see that. I, I might look that up because I'm curious now. And uh, Pozo says, did they ever reconcile employee reimbursement reports and review credit card statements? Well, it sounds like he was in charge of the reconciliation, too. It sounds like he was in charge of dispersing the credit cards, uh, approving them, approving the transactions and any reconciliation if there was one. One thing I'm curious about is though, why was the auditor fired? Yeah, one of the articles said something about the internal audit nor the external audit finding it in multiple audits of this group, right? Of whatever the, what was it? I, I my acronyms are all messed up, but um, so, I mean, I my was guessing because they didn't, see it and it's so blatantly obvious or they weren't suggesting the right controls i mean who was the boss the supervisor you know you got an accounting manager you've got you've got to assume that maybe there was a controller over this um this piece but you know where yeah accountability where well i mean whoever the boss was they fired him or her too though right and how says scapegoat yeah probably, yeah, probably. so 
Yeah, yeah. they just, they made it made them look bad, right? So they're gonna they're gonna get rid of anybody that that should have spoken up or found it or seen it or you know, but there probably should have been other scapegoats than the auditor. Well, at the end of the day, he pleaded guilty. Uh, so we know that he did plead guilty. And I read somewhere that he went ahead and pleaded guilty uh, so that they wouldn't investigate anything else. We've heard that before, right? Kelly says that <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I didn't have time to look at like Pacer to see anything else, but maybe I'll be better next time because there might be some stuff in Pacer that might be interesting. Yeah. Well, and, and according to some sources, uh, USF, the University of South Florida, stated that it would help USMA implement new control structures, including an upgraded financial reporting system to better safeguard against criminal activity. So the USF, the university auditors are going to help that uh, direct support organization to implement some good controls. Yeah, where was, you know, it's the same frustrating thing we talk about. Where was the proactiveness on something like that? Why, you know, it seems like if he was able to steal this much, this is a fairly substantial organization that should have had this already. So, you know, again, hindsight is is going to get us there but that's reacting to all this bad stuff where's the proactive yeah. well and also this is healthcare. as i was on the phone yesterday still dealing with my son's concussion from april like it's i consider myself to be somewhat smart oh my god the medical charts i, I reached out to the insurance company that's doing this 105 page report my son fell and hit his head and had a concussion and got some staples in his head. 105 pages. Ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. And it's $10,000. So like, you know, this is healthcare. It's, it's insane. Well, and the difficult part about this one is, so I'll tell you, I actually know quite a few of the auditors at USF. What happens in, in higher education is when you set up these separate companies, you kind of want them to be able to run on their own. So even though you have some good auditors in the university's audit department, they're more than likely very hands off with this direct support organization, which is why the direct support organization had an auditor of their own. And you 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 don't want to make it seem like the university's running all of those operations, which is why you separated it out. But now, unfortunately, that audit department is going to have to step in and either A, take it over or B, help train new staff as they come in. Um, so you want to keep somewhat of a separation or go all in. When I was a chief auditor in higher education, I actually audited the direct support organizations, but not every university does. Some of them keep it separate. So it's unfortunate because if they had leaned on that audit department there, they probably would have been able to pick up on some of this stuff. Because it sounds like they had one auditor for that entire, you know, operation. Yeah, that makes more sense now uh, to me that it kept saying the auditor was also fired. Like it was singular, yeah. right? And we know that that the university itself has more. Yeah, that's why I saved that part for last. I just I wanted to see who was going to pick up on that and ask that question. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. All right. So you guys, we got a medical millionaire in the making. Well, maybe not anymore, right? 
he became a millionaire, but he didn't stay a millionaire long. And, and now he has a, uh, he, he does have a new residence though. Well, not yet. Soon he'll have a new residence. He may not like his new residence, but he has a new residence. So that's the medical millionaire in the making. And we are about halfway through today's show. Kelly, what's happening on Great Women in Fraud? So I just recorded a podcast this morning um, with Jay Rosen, Compliance Affiliated Monitors. If you have any interest in monitorships, which I never really paid attention to, but it's kind of cool work. That'll be dropping on Tuesday. And again, um, David Weber's episode that dropped a week ago where he proved that hashtag women are better embezzlers or they embezzle more often. Um, you got to listen to it because David's amazing. And, you know, he helped catch one of the insurrectionists. So check it out, please. All right. So that is Great Women in Fraud, the podcast that is available on your favorite podcasting platforms, including Apple. <laughs> Joe, what's going on with the book club? Well, um, Kelly, remember we told, I think we teased it last week. Kelly and I officially have our next book and movie club uh, out there for September 15th. I'll put the link in the comments, but we are going to be dissecting WeWork, which I am just fascinated by. So Kelly was the one that said we had to read the book, The Cult of We. I am this close to being done with it. And I am now fascinated with this. I had already watched the documentary. So we're going to do a little book and movie club on WeWork on September 15th. And now for a book and a movie club, which you also get CPE credit for, how much is that? 20 bucks. <gasps> wow. So it's no $7 CPE, but... You get two of us. You get two. Yeah, both of us. And you get some really good slides and movie clips and just a lot of fun. It's still well, you know, I'm thinking that the value probably goes up because I'm not there. Right? So <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> You're crazy. What about the fraud retreat? Uh, fraud retreat's still on. We've had a couple more signups. So August 4th and 5th next year, uh, even if you can't uh, budget for it this year, make sure you get it in that budget for next year. It will be cheap early bird discount until at least through the end of this year. So check out fraudretreat.com and see if you can get it on your schedule. Join us 16 CPE for the fraud retreat in Denver at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Beautiful place. You guys want to come to Denver next summer. You do. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Especially if you live in Florida. <clears throat> Hell, you can risk <laughs> that humidity. Nice little getaway. Absolutely. Now, some of you guys know that I also have another podcast. It's a live show here on LinkedIn. It's about 10 to 30 minutes. We try to keep it very short. It's called Audit Bytes. If you go to auditbytes.com, you can, well, see the replay. And again, it's on your favorite podcasting platforms, except... Apple. Next week, we're doing episode number three. I don't know why I keep saying we, because it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but next week, we'll have, we'll have episode number three. And the title of it is Three Reasons Audit Clients Hate Your Reports. You'll want to tune into this one because I'm going to take a, an actual report that I got off the internet and I'm going to cover up the people's names. I don't want to embarrass anyone. This is meant to be educational, but I'm going to take a real report that's out there from this year. And we're going to dissect it. And I'm going to show you three reasons why clients hate your audit 
reports. The other thing I want to talk to you guys about is I am presenting at the 2021 Financial Services Exchange uh, um, seminar given by the IIA, September 27th and 28th. It is in Washington, D.C., but get this, guys. I'm actually doing the opening keynote. I'm also doing a breakout session as well, but I'm doing the opening keynote. That's going to be fun and interesting. And next week, we'll be able to tell you who the MC will be for the event, because I think you're going to like who the MC is. I can't tell you guys just yet. So that's a lot of stuff to pack in here before we get to our next story, which is produce profits. We're not producing profits. We have produce profits. Now, I know you're probably wondering what in the world is produce profits. Heather says, that's cool. Yeah, it is cool, Heather. I'm so excited. I'm just, uh, I'm like a pointer sister right now. I'm so excited and I just can't hide it. <laughs> uh, okay. So what are we talking about with produce profits? The Philadelphia wholesale produce market. That's what we're talking about. Now, this thing is no joke. It is 700,000 square feet. It is the largest refrigerated building in the world. And it serves the general public. It also serves restaurants. It serves businesses. It serves a lot of different uh, uh, other businesses. But there's been some fraud. The former president is charged with stealing seven. Point eight million dollars, and he he got very creative with it. I will say, out of all the stories we've covered, this is probably the most creative one. He's being charged. So far. With one, yeah, so far, right? He's being charged with one count of money laundering conspiracy, one count of aggravated identity theft, and four counts of tax evasion, two counts of wire fraud, and one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. That's a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. Oh, I've got to inhale and take a breath <laughs> before we go through <laughs> before we go through some of his stuff. Um so he was the former president and CEO of the produce market. They're saying that he well, he had control over every aspect of the market including the expenditure of funds. And he was required to report to the board of directors, but he was in charge of everything. They're saying that he defrauded the market using funds to pay $1.9 in rent on his home in New Jersey. Joe, are you here? Joe with an E. <laughs> uh, <laughs> apparently, he lived in Stone Harbor. He also converted into cash, $1.1 million in checks drawn on the market's bank account. And he used that money for his own benefit. And he caused, they say he caused $1.7 million in checks to be issued from the market's operating account to his friends, family, and relatives. But it gets better. He also caused the market to pay for his personal credit card expenditures, converting $320,000 in checks that were payable to the market and cashing them for his own benefit. And if it couldn't get any better, apparently he allegedly skimmed 
$2.6 million in cash from the gate for the market's parking lot. Um, and he used that money to pay employees under the table. So, you know, like when you, you know, you pay to park, especially in the Philadelphia area, right? You pay to park no matter where you go there. Um, he used $2.6 million from the gate there. Um, and then he used a $180,000 loan to market from the market to, uh, wait, oh no, wait a minute. That one I'm confused by what they're saying. So anyway, Joe Kelly, let me just stop right there. That's a lot. Did you, I, the, it, what's so funny about Kelly and I's minds is we both copied and pasted the exact same quote. So the one Kelly just put in the comments is the one that was my favorite from this article. Um, because I feel like if auditors started looking for complexity, they're going to find more fraud. They're going to find that, you know, those bad transactions and behavior. And that's why I like one of my ethical principles is simple wins. Like the everyday ethicist chooses the simple process over the complex one. So that's the, the one statement that I pulled out of there as well. Well, and I worked a case years ago that um, we wrapped in a bow, put it in a nice little box and gave it to the FBI. And the FBI couldn't even open the Excel file because they didn't have the most recent Excel. And they had a press release and they're like, it was a really complex fraud. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. Money here goes to here goes to here. I mean, it was so basic. And like, I mean, I sent it to the CPA, CFE that I did the case with. And I'm just like, it wasn't complex. And he just, yeah. So, um, I, you know, I don't know if it really was complex, but you know what? Both of these cases make me salivate for getting someone's bank account right now, because it used to be Christmas from me for me when I would see where people would spend their money. And I'm like, what? You would spend it there? Like, it's kind of like a dopamine hit for me. <laughs> so anyone want to send me like, you know, some one's charge cards and I can go crazy and make pivot tables. Don't you guys like have fun with that? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So wait, so let's go back for a minute. He spent 1.9 million in rent for his, wait a minute. That, did, that didn't even say his mortgage. I just noticed that in rent for his home, uh, $1.1 million in checks drawn on the market's bank account. Um, and then $1.7 million to friends and relatives, $320,000 to benefit him. They didn't say exactly what. And then $2.6 million from the, uh, the gate at the market parking lot. And he used, and it didn't say if he used all of that or just some of that to pay some market uh, employees under the table. Oh yeah, it does, it does say he, while keeping a substantial portion for his own use. So that's a lot, but they say that he, he, he concealed these expenditures in the books by directing that these payments be reflected as legitimate business expenditures. For example, he would notate some as maintenance expense, snow removal, insurance, legal fees, and other false entries. So he was the CEO, but he controlled the books. So maybe they didn't have a CFO or maybe he had control over the CFO. Yeah. So I think, well, number one, we have to remember that, I mean, this one in relation to the last story, 
is more complex, uh, you know, in a way, because he at least did a bunch of different things in different ways. You know, when we get into his what getting of mail orders, right? Like, I mean, and how he used basically blank checks or certified checks and or, you know, cash to go get mail. Anyway, he did a lot of different things. So I think to us, it may not seem complex because we're fraud examiners and auditors and we know where to follow this stuff through, but he actually did do a lot of work. Um, but I, I mean, look at Hal's comment right after Kelly's quote, when they can't figure it out, they, they do wire fraud. Right. But look at, I mean, Robert, you read off a list of charges. Like, I feel like this one of all the ones we've seen does have more to it. Well, and here's how complex it was. I couldn't even read off the list without stuttering, right? Because they, I mean, seriously, and I know I'm not even uh, poking fun of myself this time. I'm being serious. It was just that complex. And, you know, we talk about these press releases all the time where they say it was complex and it wasn't because also they allege that he committed aggravated identity theft by cashing checks at a currency exchange using the name of an unwitting victim. Now, he also brought someone else in, but they're saying through that um, that uh, check cashing place, he laundered approximately three hundred and nineteen thousand dollars by purchasing money orders. But but it even got it got worse than that because he had a second guy that worked at the check cashing place in on it with him. Um, and he was a supervisor at United Check Cashing on South Broad Street in Philly, if you guys know where it is. And what he did was he encouraged this person to not. Uh, to cash checks under $10,000 so that they could avoid having to file the currency transaction reports, the CTR reports, because then they would have been able to record the identity of the person that was cashing the checks. So he had some checks that he used somebody else's name for. Then he had other instances, I'm assuming maybe they did use his name, but he wanted to keep it below the $10,000 threshold. So he colluded with the supervisors at this check cashing place. Mm-hmm. And that supervisor had already been charged or, or, or something like he he was already like found guilty, I think. Right. So yeah. it's interesting that I mean, obviously, they knocked off the smaller person like this is just the person who colluded or the what's the what's the term I'm looking for? Aided and abetted. I don't know. The co-conspirator. Uh, yeah. Co-conspirator, but on a smaller scale. So they got him out of the way and now they got to figure out what to do with this guy. But yeah, I mean, the, this mentality spreads easier than people think. I mean, this is where you got to follow the trail. What makes me think of the McDonald's Monopoly game yeah. fraud, um, because when you watch that documentary, McMillions on Netflix, right? No, HBO. That one's on HBO. Um, you know, they talk about the FBI talks about how they thought it was like eight people. And then it turned into 53 people. And like, so I think you know, a tip, if we're going to jump into a tip is like, follow the trail to where these people go and what they're doing with their money too. Cause I think this is the first one where I'm like, Oh, you know, you gotta, it's like third party vendors, like audits, right? You gotta look at where they're spending that money and who else was in on it and what did they do to break the law? So this guy stopped filing reports. So it just was interesting how it spread in this one to me. Cause I, we haven't seen one really is much like that. I know we Absolutely. talked about that farmer broker one, but we couldn't really figure out what the broker was getting out of it. So yeah. this is the first one where it's kind of, I don't know, two parties. Follow the follow the line. Well, well Dan says 
While most of my investigations are dealing with relatively simple cases, he has had some creative payroll and AP ones. Now, Pozo says that 1.9 million in rent, that makes no sense. He did not use his stolen money wisely. Why didn't they just buy a place? I'm with you, Pozo. I'm so with you. Now, um, Pozo also says that some of these frauds could be prevented if companies outsourced accounting. Pozo, you willing to take up the accounting for some of these companies? That might be a second business. And Kelly is in the chat saying no one does anything for free. But Hal gets the comment of the day. He's too smart to be a Florida man. <laughs> I think you might be right. Now, they're, they're also saying, though, that on some occasions he uh, directed the people at United Check Cashing to convert the proceeds into check to, to convert the check proceeds into separate money orders, which he used to pay his monthly rent. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is just. Yeah, it was, it was amazing how many things he did in ways he did it. I think we have had one guy that probably wasn't a Florida man either that we, we called like the smart fraud. I can't remember which story that was, but I was like, this guy was really smart. I don't know if I feel that way about this one, but there was a lot going on. And yeah. He, he had a lot going on and Hal says rent versus own no <laughs> assets to seize. That's a very good point. That's a good point. Now they why said, do you, why do you care if you're throwing your money away if it's not your money anyway? If it's stolen money, who cares? It's like you know, money here, laundering. Here's the one thing I always wonder, though. Seriously, once you get to a certain amount of money that you've stolen, why does no one go to a country with no extradition laws to the U.S. and live out the rest of their lives? <laughs> I've, I've always wondered that. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know. So. They also alleged that he willfully attempted to evade federal income tax over several years by failing to report more than two point million dollars in income tax uh, for years 2014 through 2017. He failed to report as income the proceeds of his fraud on the market. Got that. As well as a car allowance. Now, that one doesn't make sense. And pension allowance and consulting income he received from the market. And that one doesn't make sense because it seems like it would have come out of his check as an employee unless, I mean, it says consulting. So was he the CEO for the market? And then he turned around and charged them to be a consultant as well as a 1099 employee. Like this, he had so much going on. I, yeah. Yeah. But why, but to your point, like, I don't know about the consulting one, but the car allowance and the other things, those should be paycheck on his paycheck. Right. Again, but he's the CEO, so he probably just paid himself under the table for those things. So that's true. That's what happens when you have all the control. <laughs> he probably used the proceeds from the parking garage to pay himself under the table, too. Probably. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Pozo hit it with this one. Well, I think she was saying greed is why people don't flee. They just think they can stay. A lot of people think they can get away with it. You know, I think this guy probably had a little bit of the smartest guy in the room mentality. You know, he was doing so many different things. He thought he was going to get away with it. Well, and that's kind of what Hal said. You do it because yeah. you don't think you will ever yeah. be caught ever. No need to flee the country if you believe that. Yeah, they think they're untouchable. Okay, so, right? so who's watched The Sopranos? Does this not 
seem a little soprano-ish. Oh, you know it does. I never watched The Sopranos. Oh. But The Sopranos was based in where? New Jersey. Jersey. It was Jersey? Okay, I was thinking yeah, New York. Yeah, but they, okay. you know, they had tentacles other places. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. 100%. Because I, I'm still just looking back at what this guy d- allegedly did. So from the parking garage, he... I guess took cash and then paid people under the table so that they wouldn't have to pay taxes. He got a check cashing place to get in on the scheme with him and had them redirect checks that were in the organization's name to him, as well as divert cash that should have been going to the organization to him. They actually, he actually convinced them to break the law, to break financial services law, federal law by not, filing uh, currency transaction reports, which then got the check cashing place in trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, He paid for rent on his home to the tune of $1.9 million. And where he lived in Stone Harbor is a really nice neighborhood in Jersey. Um, I I mean, it's it's on the Jersey Shore, I believe. Yeah, it is. So high real estate. What else? He gave money to friends and family. He was was supposed to report to the board, but I guess he did. But he actually had transactions in the accounting records changed to look like legitimate transactions. So I guess when they came through, they showed up as something else if they were coming directly from the bank. So he had them changed in whatever their accounting system was. That's a lot. But he also gave um, funds to person with tragic health problems that he had learned through the news stories, through news stories, random. And he also gave 350000 to charities of local organizations, including string bands. So, you know, he just thought he was doing the right thing. Here. He was Robin Hood. Yeah, he was Robin Hood. He didn't, it didn't really matter all those other things. Yeah. But wait, um, could you really be Robin Hood if you stole from the rich and then made yourself rich and then gave to the poor? Yeah, I think that's a... Well, okay, you guys. Nobody does. Robin Hood does. Anyway, no. <laughs> so I just looked up the house that shows his address on Fast People. Um, it's only worth two hundred fifty-four thousand dollars. It is not nice at all. Oh, that's the house he's renting. Well, he's this so- is the house that shows in Boris, New Jersey, hmm. and I pulled it up from Fast People. I mean, it's not you know. I was, I was expecting a little bit nicer of, the ho- of a house. I love Kelly the investigator. Well, I She's just always like it, looking up some website, like doing I, her little investigative mind. I love it. Well, maybe it's, the, I'm, I'm going to have to look at some other of their pieces of property that they show because this is crazy. This isn't a nice house. You wouldn't pay. Yeah, I got to find, I, I need a mansion. At least for that amount of rent, I want a mansion. Yeah. And a nice car. You know, you got to have like a Bugatti or something, you know? <laughs> no, I was afraid of that parking lot audit. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, interesting. I think his wife's name is Michelle. Um, 
don't know. Do you know his social? I mean, <laughs> I mean, give me a minute. Okay, and this is why minute. Um, the people stalk our LinkedIn's after we talk about them after we've searched their LinkedIn's. Yes. Oh my God. Did we yeah. tell? Did we tell our audience that that happened that one day? I can't no. remember. We did not. But yeah, we we had somebody after one show. We looked at someone's LinkedIn and they checked out all three of us because we checked out him on LinkedIn. Uh, so yeah, probably watched the story that we were talking about him. I bet probably did. Now, Hal says you can't do a complex fraud without accomplices, and the landlord might have been on the take, which that's very true. The landlord may have been on the take. Hal also, maybe they're money laundering. Oh, you know what? Yeah, that's true. But Hal says Bernie Madoff was quite benevolent. But here's what I thought of in all seriousness. That may have been his New Jersey home. And then uh, a lot of times people who have a lot of money in Jersey, they'll have a home kind of in Jersey and then another home that's their summer home on the Jersey shore. So the $1.9 million home that he was renting may have actually been just the summer home in the Jersey shore. Yeah, I shouldn't know that much about New Jersey. You know, the, the bad part about this one for me is um, the Philly market actually is a, a really good market. It's one of the biggest in the world, and they serve a lot of small businesses and in in user in in user consumers, uh, customers, the general public. They have a lot of really good food there, and there are a lot of really good people that work there. And this tarnish tarnishes a really good organization. Um, it really is. I don't know if you guys have ever been to it or seen it but it is it is a fascinating building it is huge and everything under the sun is there. it reminds me um on a much larger scale of the market in seattle you know oh yeah 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 reminds me of that but on a much larger scale and it's uh it's a it's a lot cleaner because it's newer but uh it's a really good place Pozo wants to know if he watched the replay of his episode. <laughs> I don't know, Pozo. I can't tell. I wish I could tell because I'm I'm wondering now if he actually did. But yeah, he 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 stalked us like we stalked him. Turnabout is fair play. What do you guys, <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think about this episode? Uh, and I'm wondering to the audience now: Is this the most crazy one we've had so far? Because we've had some really crazy ones, but I I think by far this one is probably the most complex. Um, and possibly the craziest with the other craziest to me being the wire card. Because that one was just, it wasn't as complex. It wasn't complex at all. But the fact that they brought in private investigators to uh, try and dig up dirt on these people, and they tried to attack the journalists at the Financial Times for just simply reporting the truth. And, you know, the fact that it was one, what was it? How many billions of dollars was it that was missing? Billion with a B. Two was billion. It 1.9, two billion, yeah. Billion two billion account. dollars. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think they're just totally different scales, right? Like these ones still kind of feel like embezzlement scale versus white collar crime. Although, I don't know, Kelly, what is the, the line there? Educate us on, is it a dollar or is it? The position, right? It's pos it's I know. The position. So lower level of position. Okay. So, um, but it's also the offense. So then the other thing on this is um, he probably started with one little thing mm -hmm. and got away with it. 
And, you know, our appetites never get smaller. They only get bigger. And so he's like, well, I got away with this. So now I'm, I, I need to do this. And so they might just start with one paycheck or one expense report. And then it's like, oh, that was easy. No one caught that. Yeah, it's um, like so he's a CEO. So you would think white collar crime, but he probably started as a low level embezzler. And then yeah. got up to the white collar crime level, obviously in the millions. But yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, and I, I think all of these things tend to have the same theme. One person with too much control. Regardless of level, this one just happened to be the CEO, but we've seen some where it's been uh, clerks with too much control. And then we had the one with the school where it was the nun who had too much control. Yeah, Nuns on the run. Um, well, yeah. And it's like in these two today that you picked, I feel like they they should have known better. They're big enough organizations, you know, that that even I don't know, just you know, some of them we talk about. You know, we don't want to victim shame. You know, they don't know any better. It's small companies, nonprofits. But these two, I just feel like don't have as much of an excuse. Yeah. And that's well, the surprising piece, but also the disappointing piece. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. All right, guys. They're fun. Thanks. This for coming. has been another episode of the Friday Froster. Episode number 22, to be exact. If you like what you're hearing here, spread the word. Tell all your friends that are in fraud, risk management, compliance, internal audit. Tell everyone you know. Tell them they can watch the replay here on LinkedIn. They can watch the replay on YouTube. They can go to FridayFroster.com or $7CPE.com to get their CPEs. We want to thank you guys for making donations for Joe. We want to remind you about Joe's Book Club, Kelly's podcast, the uh, fraud retreat that's coming up and anything else that you see us because if you see us you know it's going to be good you're going to have a good time right <laughs> joe kelly anything else you guys want to say no have a great weekend everybody we'll see you next next week stay good stay good don't commit any frauds all right see you guys.